Let's turn together in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, there should be some Bibles in the pews and also uh, in the back. If you need a Bible, please grab one and take one for yourself. Genesis 45, as we uh, been, have been going through the story of uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, it speaks of beginnings, not just the beginnings of the heavens and the earth, but uh, it speaks to us of uh, the beginnings of God's covenant people uh, and his grace. So, uh, Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made, made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall not dwell in the land of Goshen. Uh, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, excuse me, and you shall be near me. Uh, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after, uh, after that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob, did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a, char a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away as 
And as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his, Jacob's heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel, Jacob, said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And to all these words, God's people say, Amen. Well, I hope you'll agree with me that uh, one of the, uh, the greatest things in life uh, is reconciliation. Uh, perhaps you and uh, one of your parents have been estranged. Uh, or maybe you and a sibling have been at odds. You and a friend uh, have uh, had words. Maybe you and your neighbor uh, have gone at it. But when we come together and there's forgiveness uh, and there's reestablishing of relationship, we call that reconciliation, the coming again of peace. And that brings to us peace and it brings to us joy, I hope and pray, as you maybe think about someone or some uh, example uh, in your life, maybe something right now that you need to, or someone right now that you need to be reconciled to. And uh, you desire that for some, uh, for some dear, deep-hearted reason. It brings us great joy. It brings us great peace uh, to experience reconciliation with uh, a son or a daughter, mom or dad, brother or sister, friend, neighbor, co-worker, whoever it might be. Uh, kids, our story this morning is about Joseph and how Joseph received his brother's in grace. His brothers, remember, kids, remember all the bad things that these brothers had done to their young brother, Joseph. They called him names. They called him, you dreamer, there's this dreamer coming, because he had these weird dreams about stalks of grain and the sun and moon and stars. They called him names. Uh, they threw him into a hole in the ground. No doubt they had to wrestle him to do that, so they're physically violent towards him. They wanted to kill him, but eventually they sold him to be a slave, and they lied about him to their dad for all those uh, 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 after that experience, and they, they gave him that robe full of blood from an animal. But after all that, what does Joseph do? Joseph forgives. Joseph receives them. He becomes reconciled to them. And you see the story there. Uh, They're just astonished. They can't believe that this is Joseph, first of all, and that he would receive them in grace. He weeps. They all weep. They hug. They kiss. They reconcile. Why does he do that? Why would Joseph do that? I mean, would you or or me do that? Would, Would we do that? Would we do that? After all that someone has done to us, name-calling, assaulting, uh, and in this case, very extreme things, like wanting to kill, selling into slavery, lying about you, would you do this? Would you forgive? 
Would you reconcile? Why does Joseph do it? Because Joseph is a story you've seen over and over again about how Jesus forgives us. He's a picture to us in the Old Testament of the grace of God that is only found in Jesus Christ, that forgives sinners like you and me who have called him names, uh, who have, with our, the Old Testament says, with a high hand, we've shook our fist up to the heavens and we've slandered God. We've said we don't want anything to do with God. We've made fun of Jesus. We've mocked the Christian faith. We've assaulted verbally or otherwise Christians, his people. But yet Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus forgives sinners. Despite so many bad slash sinful things that we have done to him, he forgives us. He forgives us. You and I are like that prodigal son. Uh, We have received so much. God has given us so much in this life and we've squandered it. We've left. We've we've estranged ourselves from God. We've run from God. uh, And we've squandered all the good gifts that he's given to us. And when we come to our uh, to our end, and we've we've come to the to the to that final time where we we realize that we've wasted everything, we've wasted our lives. What does God do? In the story of the prodigal son, it's the father who runs out to his son, covered in the mud of a pigsty, with nothing, just the clothes, dirty as they are, on his back and it is the father who goes out who rushes out and embraces the son and reconciles himself receives the son is grace to the son and 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 has this great feast to welcome the son back in that's what joseph is doing here he's a picture of jesus christ to you and to me that's the grace of god that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. That's the God that we, we confess in our creed, that we, uh, that we sing about in our songs, that we read about in our story, and then we pray to. This is the God of the Christian faith. The God who forgives. The God who receives. The God who reconciles. And may the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, give our minds and our eyes uh, that insight, as Paul describes in Ephesians 1, that revelation of him to know, to know him today, the height, the depth, the breadth, the length, of God's love to us in Jesus Christ. And I want you to see here, first of all, and really most of, the, most of our time will be here in the first 24 verses, you see Joseph's reception and this whole story as, as we pick up here where, where Judah has been pleading with Joseph, remember, from last Sunday, the, the text before us, chapter 44. Uh, Judah has been pleading with Joseph to take Judah as a pledge for Benjamin. Don't harm Benjamin. Uh, don't kill him. Don't take him into slavery. Don't do anything to him. Take me instead, because if my dad finds out that he's now a slave or he's dead, my father will die. Take me instead, he said. And we're told that there in verse 1, right off the bat, that in that situation, Joseph could not control himself. Remember, he's been hiding and he's sort of, he's been plotting and scheming and doing weird things. He knew them, they didn't know him. And so he, he played that up and he's been hiding who he was and he's been crying in secret, but now he can't control himself. His ingenious plan has worked. But he's not crying here crocodile tears, is he? These aren't fake tears. These aren't manufactured tears. No, he, he's plotted this whole thing to get his brothers down, to get that youngest brother Benjamin down, and now he's going to plot, and he's going to be successful, to get his father down and all of his household, his entire family down, to reconcile 
to reconcile, to preserve life. He sent his servants away. He wept aloud, verse 2, in the presence of his brothers, notice. Before this, he's been going off into secret, crying his eyes out, and then wiping his face and, uh, and, and, and making himself look the part again as this great dignified leader of, of Egypt. And then he comes back out stoic, right? The stiff upper lip, but now he can't control himself. Then Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. I am Joseph! And notice the first thing he asked. Is my father still alive? Is my father still alive? And not surprisingly, his brothers could not answer him. Right? They were dumbfounded, we say. For they were dismayed at his presence. No doubt, a part of that was that they were still in fear for their lives. They didn't quite trust him. They, they were afraid. They, uh, they thought he had a, had a card in the back of his pocket, right? that sort of, that trump card, as we call it, that, that last thing that he could play, that last part of the hand to always win. They were afraid. And so he, he presents himself before them, and they are, they're dismayed at his presence. This is like when we come before God. When we present ourselves before God, here especially, when we come together in public, When we gather together, we present ourselves before God. And it's God, as we read this morning in Jesus' great commands, it's God in those commands who reveals himself to us. He unveils himself to us as he really is. He is a God of perfection. He's a God who is love and yet, uh, or and also requires love of us. He requires it of us, and we know this. He presents himself before us. He unveils himself to us as we read his words and we meet with him in this holy assembly. And it's the presence of God that that should give us a little sense of uneasiness. This God is holy. The God who says that you must love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love neighbor as self. And upon these commandments, the entirety of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the entire law of God depends on this. This God doesn't play around. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's upright. He's holy. He's sinless. He punishes. Because he has to. Because he's holy. Because he's God. But thankfully, God is a God of grace. When we come before him, when we hear those laws, we hear the law of God, but we know that that's the same God who is a God of gospel, a God of grace, of mercy and forgiveness, who reconciles himself. Don't forget, it's God who calls us to to assemble. It's God who calls us to come. And we might feel a little trepidatious every single Sunday as we come together before him. Maybe we we know what we've done. We know how we've acted on the way over here. Uh, We we know what, what, what it was like. Uh, before we got here this morning in our house, those of us with kids especially, uh, we know how we've acted. and We're a little trepidatious, but God is the God who invites us. He reveals himself to us in love and in mercy and in grace and forgiveness. He receives sinners like you and me. I want you to focus on that just for a few minutes with me. Joseph's presence is good news to his brothers. He receives them in grace. That's instructive to us, and it should edify us this morning. First of all, Joseph surprisingly calls his brothers to him. Notice this. 
First of all, Joseph surprisingly calls his brothers to him. Verse 4, come near me, please, he says. Surprisingly, I say, because of all that he's gone through, all the evil done to him, all the harsh things his brothers have done and said about him, they've sinned against him. They've distanced themselves from him. They pushed him away. But here he is welcoming them saying, come near to me. I am your brother Joseph, whom you, whom you sold into Egypt. Come near to me. God's been doing this in the whole story of Genesis so far. If you go all the way back to the beginning. God, there God was in the garden and Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they, they sowed these little fig leaves and tried to hide themselves. They were ashamed of themselves and they hid themselves not just behind fig leaves but also in the bushes. They hid themselves from God because it was God who came into the garden in some mysterious way God appeared. They were hiding. They're the ones who sinned. They were the ones who estranged themselves from God. They were the ones who didn't listen to God's words, but the words of the devil and their own, and their own sinful, uh, uh, as those words uh, uh, inclined them to a sinful desire and a sinful act. It's they who did all the bad stuff. But yet here was God who was coming to the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Jacob was on the run way back when in our, in our story in, in, the, in the chapter 20 to 30 area. It was Jacob who was on the run from his brother. He was leaving his father's house. He was out there in the wilderness at night. And when the farthest thing from his mind was God, it was God who appeared to him. God appeared to him in this amazing, amazing story of where God wrestles with Joseph at, for the entire night. Don't you think God could have won the wrestling match? Right? God, is that, that's just the kind of God he is. He, he lets Jacob wrestle him all night. The sun comes up and God then does a little touch on his hip and he's sort of, he's limping the rest of his life. That's all it took was a little touch to get him off. But the point is that God appeared to Jacob. God came down to Jacob. God uh, entered Jacob's presence. God welcomed Jacob into his presence. It's the same thing with Jesus. He, he came, the Bible says, he came to his own. When the Son of God entered human flesh in our Lord Jesus Christ, he came to his own, the Bible says. His own did not receive him, but he came to his own. And to many, as, as many as do receive him, he gives to us the right to be called children of God. He calls you to come before his throne of grace with boldness and with confidence, with joy, and to ask him anything, to ask him anything. That's the kind of God we have. And so here's Joseph, who surprisingly calls his sinful, treacherous, murderous brothers to him, just like God calls us to him. Secondly, he forgives his brothers. Notice he, he proclaims to them the good news, the gospel. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What sort of forgiveness is this that, that one who's so harmed like Joseph has been, one so wickedly mistreated, one so wrongly, unjustly uh, 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 can stand before his perpetrators and forgive them? 
It's a kind of forgiveness that recognizes that I've been forgiven of my numberless sins before an infinite God. And so how can I not forgive someone who sinned against me in ways that I can't count? The psalmist prays in Psalm 130, O Lord, if you should count our iniquities, what does the psalmist want to say? O Lord, if you should count our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God was to count, and we know God knows our sins, but if God was to mark them out on a ledger and just begin to write one, two, three, four, five, right? And every single sin, if you counted all of our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand before you? No one, right? That's, that's, the, that's, that's the implied answer. No one but with you. The psalmist says, but with you there's forgiveness. But with you there's forgiveness. This is like Jesus with that woman caught in adultery and all the crowd is surrounding her with rocks in their hands to stone her to death. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. This is the kind of forgiveness that the apostle speaks of when he says, put on, put on as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved of God. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. And then Paul goes on to say this. You know, that, that stuff sounds easy to do because it's sort of ethereal. But then he says this. All that means this. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. It's easy to say, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm trying to be a humble guy and I'm trying to be a meek gal. I'm trying to be patient and, you know, I put on a compassionate heart. I'm a kind person. But it gets real sticky when you have to actually forgive somebody, doesn't it? If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, Why? Colossians 3, verse 13. Here's that text I just read. Here's why the apostle says that you have to do this as a Christian. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Lord, how many times do I got to forgive my neighbor, they asked Jesus? How many times, you know, seven times, up, up to seven times, Lord? And what did Jesus say? 70 times 7, right? Okay, 490. So the 490, the first time, I don't have to forgive him, right? No, he's saying there's, there's no end to what you're obligated to do. Forgive as God has forgiven you. One of our hymns says, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, uh, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. So he surprisingly does Joseph call his brothers to him, and then he forgives them. He forgives them. Right? We're, getting, we're beginning to see a little bit of a, of a shadow, an outline here of our, of our Lord Jesus. Notice thirdly, Joseph lavishes upon his brothers abundance of life. He welcomes them. He invites them to come. He forgives them. And then he gives something. Abundance of life. Do not be distressed or angry. Why? Verse 5. Who sent Joseph? Now, now, now they took him and put him in a pit. And they went and ate lunch. We saw this back in chapter 37, 38. And then they saw this caravan of, of Midianite traders with their camels. 
And they took him out and they put him on, bound his hands and feet, wrapped him up like a slave, and then they traveled all the way down to Egypt and then they sold him to Potiphar's house. He's a slave. Who's guilty? The, the brothers are guilty. But notice how Joseph, in, this, in these sayings here, he, he penetrates beyond the, the human culpability of, of the sins. He says, for God sent me to preserve life. God sent me down here before you, verse 5, to preserve life. In fact, he tells them, you know, there's been two harsh years of famine. You still got five more years. You can't keep coming down and getting a little bit of grain here and there, piecemeal. You got to come down. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to keep alive for you many survivors. You see, beloved, as, as Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here, but God, verse 8. It was God who sent Joseph. The brothers certainly are responsible for their sending him, but it was God who used those brothers' wickedness. He used their hearts of darkness, their sinfulness, their plots, their hatred. God used that to send down Joseph. That might be hard for us to swallow, but it's true. But it's true. In fact, in our, in our, uh, we've been, I've been saying that throughout this Joseph story, that the big idea about God is we see the providence of God. That means that, that God has a purpose and a plan for everything. And God is the one who governs and, and guides, and all things are working out according to God's purpose and plan in some mysterious way. In some mysterious way. Does God allow sin? Do people do wicked things? Absolutely. Could God intervene if he wanted to? Sure, he's God. But God has a purpose and a plan. We say these words. This is in our Heidelberg Catechism Q&A number 27. It's in the back of our hymnal on page 876. I'll just read it. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism Q&A number 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? So what does it mean that God is a, a, a God of providence? It's the almighty, the ever-present power of of God, by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven, earth, all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, all things. Those are just a little, little poetic list of examples. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And so this is the difference between having faith and not, is perceiving that God has a hand in life, in everything, in tragedy and injustice and all these things we've seen in Joseph's life. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And so he, he can confess as a believer. He can say, God sent me down here before you to preserve life. God sent me. This God who sent me, he says, uh, this is the God who promised to, to Eve back in the garden a, a son who was going to crush the serpent's head, the serpent that tempted them. There was going to be one to come from Eve who was going to crush that serpent's head. This is the God who gave Adam and Eve a son in the place of their murdered son Abel. 
the God who gathered a remnant to call upon his name when the rest of the world was making a name for themselves by their, their cultural exploits. So that in chapter number uh, 5, 6, and so forth, of chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Genesis. That this is the God who preserved a remnant of just eight souls, eight human lives in the ark while he flooded the rest of the world in judgment. This is the God who called out of idolatrous Ur a man named Abram to worship him, to serve him. This is the God who resurrected Isaac from the altar where Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his very own son because God said so. This is the God who never gave up on Jacob, although Jacob was so unworthy. This is the God who's not forgotten his people in the midst of impending death in this very famine. He's not forgotten them. God has sent me down, he says. And this abundance of life that uh, in the midst of death that Joseph is speaking of is, he says here, the land of Goshen was going to be given to Jacob and his family, verse 10. Verse 11, I will provide for you there. It's not just that you're going to have a little sack of grain you're going to put on a donkey and take it back up to dad and he's going to have a little bit of food, a little bit of bread. You have to come back down here in a couple, couple months apparently or whatever it might be and do it again. No, I'm going to give you an abundance of life. No need to travel back and forth anymore. You'll have the best part of the land. You'll have all that you need. You will be blessed. I will provide for you. And notice that the abundance is not just that Joseph gives an abundance. Even the Pharaoh doesn't. He hears about Joseph's brothers, and he's pleased, verse 16. And he says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat the fat of the land. And he even sends up wagons to the promised land to bring down little children, to bring down women, and loads them up with provisions, gives them change of clothes. And he gives Benjamin five changes of clothes, 300 shekels of silver just to show Jacob that he means business, that he's telling the truth. And that's just a little down payment of all that's awaiting them. Abundance of life. God doesn't just invite us and call us into his presence. He doesn't just tell us the gospel. No, he gives us the gifts. He gives us everlasting life. He gives us the abundance of life to live before him in the midst of a dying world to give us life. And so Joseph calls the brothers, forgives them, grants them abundance of life, embraces his brothers, weeps over them, kisses them in love and in true affection. Just as one day we'll stand before God, we'll stand before Jesus Christ and he'll say to us those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into eternal life, the life that was prepared for you before the world even began. We'll stand before Jesus Christ, the Bible says, on that last day, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Here's Joseph weeping, and the brothers weeping in joy, and there's going to be a day to come when Jesus Christ wipes away all the tears of sorrow from our eyes, and forever we will be in his presence of joy. What a picture of grace here. Because behind Joseph's action is the Lord. Is the Lord. Who receives sinful, wayward people like you. Here is a picture to you and to me of what the gospel is. Of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. The God who stands before you today, this morning, as you come into his presence. And he says to you, who are like those brothers, those sinful brothers, 
You who have done all kinds of sins, all kinds of mistakes, you've done all kinds of things, whether you knew it or not, that were violations of God's commands and laws, here's the God who stands before you this morning. And he says to you, sinner, that I draw near to you. And I've done that by sending my son, Jesus, to this world. And I call you to myself. Come, God says, come with all of your sins. Bring all of your burdens, bring all of your hardened heart, all your bruised conscience, bring all those mistakes, bring all those fears. He says, come. And you are like a withered piece of grass, the Bible says, that is going to just perish and die. You're like dust of the earth. It's going to blow away in, in God's presence. But yet God says, I'm not going to send you away. I welcome you into my presence. I welcome you. I sent him to you because you are a sinner. And I forgive you. And I receive you in grace. I have taken away your sins. I put them on my son on the cross. We sang that. Our sins are put on the cross. And I read in that, in that explanation of baptism that God has condemned our sins on the cross. And because he's condemned our sins, we are not condemned. We're justified. We are accepted as righteous in God's sight. And so God says to you this morning that I give you new life. I give you abundance of life, life that's full, life that is joyful because it's my life. I embrace you as my son, my daughter, my beloved child. I clothe you in a robe that's spotless, that's white, that's weaved by the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ, in the place of all your sinful works, I give you Christ's righteousness. His life, his death, his resurrection, it's all yours. It's all yours. Amazing, isn't it? If you, if you go online today, people think, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it's, you're, you're against this, you're against that, you're against this, you're against that. Right? You're, you're sort of against everything. And it's really just about morals, you know. It's, and it's not just your morals, but you want everyone else to follow your morals. That's what people think Christianity is about. The last time I checked, the Bible says Christianity is about Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection. Amen? That's the Christian faith. And Joseph is, is receiving his brothers and he's being a shadow to us of Jesus Christ who receives us. And so God says in one of our hymns, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. That's the gospel. And that gospel, you notice it revives Jacob. It revives Jacob. That's the gospel that revives us. It gives us new life when we hear this. New life, new purpose, new hearts, new minds, new wills, new loves. It renews us. To love God, to love our neighbor. Jacob was revived. At first, he heard this, his heart was numb. He did not believe it. But then, this unbelievable story struck his heart and he was revived. I, verse 28, I, he says, will go. I will go. God calls to you today, and Jesus Christ calls to you today. To come to him, 
to be accepted by him, to be received by him, to be forgiven by him, to be clothed with Christ himself, so that God doesn't look upon you and all of your sins anymore. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. He says, come, receive him. Receive him. This free gift that I offer. And when you receive that gift, he revives your soul. He makes you new. He resurrects you to new life. He resurrects you to new life. Baptism is the sign and seal of the beginning, and the Lord's Supper is the constant, from that point on, the constant nourishment of our souls that points us to Jesus Christ, who is the life of our souls, the life that revives us, that makes us new. Come to Jesus today. Receive new life. Let's pray.